0: Welcome to another episode of This Is My Story. I'm excited to bring our guest on today. His name is Jim Rippey. Man, we're here today to have a conversation about Jim Rippey's career as a pro snowboarder. Back in the mid nineties, this guy was ripping. His last name says it all, but I'm serious. This guy, not only was he uh, a pro athlete sponsored by Burton, one of the top snowboard companies in the world, but had a pro model, which means his name was on the board. He designed the board. He had that board for over seven years. But Jim was beyond snowboarding, just an extreme kind of guy. I mean, this dude was base jumping off of buses over bridges. Uh, First person to ever land a backflip on a snowmobile. And uh, won feet of the year for ESPN in 2001 with that trick. Um, Cool videos. We're going to drop below too. But one thing is he backflipped the snowmobile off of a cliff, ditched the snowmobile after he did the flip, fell a thousand feet and parachuted down to a safe landing in the snow you'll want to see that video down below. So also down below, we'll put a link uh, to his story, a short film that we did of his life. And i uh, love for you to just be able to see some of those things. But we're going to take a break right quick. I want you to see just a little montage of what Jim has been able to do in his snowboard career. And then we'll be back launched right into this podcast.
1: Here's all the stuff the world can offer you. It doesn't mean anything. The most important thing is loving other people.
0: All right, welcome back. Before we dive into this conversation with Jim, let me just first thank our sponsors, Word of Life Bible Camp and Institute. We love you guys. If you're looking for a, an education in Bible or just want to get involved in Word of Life, uh, there's camps, ministries all around the world. Uh, I encourage you to check them out. We love those guys. And uh, also Christian Healthcare Ministries, they're not a healthcare provider, like I've said before, but they are a, an alternative Christian-based, uh, low-cost sharing solution for you so i encourage you to check them out for you as an individual your family all right guys excited to introduce you to jim rippy hope you enjoyed this conversation what i love about you man is every time i'm done hanging out with you uh, i just feel like i walk away and i love jesus more and i want to share my faith so i'm excited to see how things turn out today praise god hey man so walk (laughs) us through just just for those who don't know like you truly did some amazing things uh what was what was your snowboard career like um
1: you know, I didn't I didn't leave high school thinking about being a professional snowboarder. I'd never snowboarded. I didn't start snowboarding until I was 19 years old. And I had no idea that that people were actually making a living snowboarding. I used to skateboard and I was one of the kids in my town that was it was kind of a I had an interesting mix. My dad was a school teacher, and I kind of grew up as a gym rat. And so I played sports and, and that was my passion, was playing sports, but I also loved to skateboard. And so I was into skateboarding and surfing. Um, I had a cousin that lived in Santa Cruz. And, and so um, anytime I could see uh, surfing on TV, skiing on TV, I skied at the time. Um, I was always psyched on those types of sports, but those weren't sports you could really make a living uh, doing. So when I moved to Tahoe in uh, 1989, 1989-90 was my first season living in Tahoe. And uh, I got a job working at Donner Ski Ranch, and it just happened that the uh, Burton team was training at Donner that year. And so uh, the first time I saw snowboarding, I went there for, uh, they have this uh, orientation day where you basically go there and they teach you, kind of show you the chair lifts and and, kind of tell you hey, if you're gonna work here, here's what it's going to entail. Um, And the meeting doesn't last long. And then you basically have about a half day to go snowboarding and or skiing. And I remember that was like the first day that I really uh, saw people skiing or snowboarding at a ski resort. Cause like I had seen snowboarding little clips of it. I'd watched my buddy make some turns one time, but to see somebody just come down the mountain making turns Uh, I just remember thinking, gosh, that looks like a lot of fun. Um, it it looks like they're surfing and skating on snow and, uh, it it just looked fun. So nonetheless, I started snowboarding and I started, um, uh, since I could do it a lot because I was working as a lift operator, I'd basically work in the daytime. And then at nighttime, we'd go to Boreal. They have night skiing there. And so I'd go to Boreal and I would snowboard all night long. And then on my days off, I had a pass where I could go to Sugar Bowl or some of these other ski areas that are in the area for free. So I basically just fell in love with snowboarding, started um, thinking about doing some contests and and did and and had some luck winning some contests and and then ended up getting a partial sponsorship. By the end of my first year, I met the Burton rep and uh said hey how would you go about getting sponsored he said go enter some contests come see me at the end of the year i had three first and the third went back to him he said okay uh, next year i can loan you a snowboard for the year i'll loan you a setup snowboard bindings and then i will give you um, i'll give you a pro form on boots and clothing so basically you know, pro forms like half price. So I get this partial sponsorship Do the Cal series ended up winning the overall there next year, turned pro went and did the PSTA, which was the pro tour at that time. And I didn't win that, but I caught the eye of the Burton team manager and he invited me to my first photo shoot, which was in Colorado. And, um, and so I finally got to go and kind of free ride and hit jumps and do stuff in the backcountry And also just like free ride versus being um, confined to a contest, like contests were okay. If those were the, those were a means to the end, which is basically being able to go film in the backcountry and, you know, get some sponsorship dollars and get with the film crew and go out and really push my snowboarding Uh, contests, you know, they just kind of have a, they have a limit to them because you have to perform right now. Whereas when you're filming in the backcountry, you know, you might jump off something three or four times before you get the trick you want, but it allows you to like, go as big as you possibly can, and try to like, do it the best you could do it you know it, it opens up the doors of really like progressing. And then after I started filming in those snowboard movies I then kind of came back to competitions I never really stopped doing competitions. I'd always pick out a handful, you know, maybe five to 10 contests in a year, uh, big air contests, slope style contests, and go out and try to win those. Um, as the prize money got bigger and better, you know, you could go to Europe and, and win $30,000 for winning a snowboard contest. Whereas back in the States, like X Games would give like five grand, and X Games really wasn't that big of a deal because it was kind of just developing and it wasn't really that rad yet. But you could go to Europe and win a bunch of money. So like I started going, okay, well, where, where are these contests that are offering a lot of money? And Aaron style was like pretty much the biggest big air snowboard contest in the world. Um, they did it in a uh, ski stadium that was or a stadium that was built for ski jumping for the Olympics. It's in Inns- Innsbruck, Austria. And they started packing this thing full of 40,000 people, uh, mainly screaming teenagers who were just there raging to, you know, and stoked to see these professional snowboarders that they watched in movies and stuff. And so I started picking some of these big contests and trying to go out and win them. And eventually I was able to win, win, um, you know, a handful of the biggest competitions in big air and slope style back then. And, uh, and, and go on and have a 14 year career as a professional snowboarder. And so it was really something that, um, uh, I'd hoped for as I started seeing that it was actually a real thing, and then uh, you know put my sights on like, hey, you know, gosh, if, if you want to consider yourself to be the best, you need to win the biggest contest and have uh, out you know outstanding parts in these snowboard movies, and then the ultimate goal for me back then was like get a pro model with Burton. If you could get a pro model snowboard with Burton, a board that you got to design it had your name on it, and uh, that would be the ultimate goal. So kind of got there, got to the ultimate goal, got my own board, had that thing for seven years. And uh, that was a dream come true and just traveled the world, you know, and really just, uh, it was a pretty intense time because when you're getting paid a lot of money to perform and to uh, promote your sponsors, you got to do things bigger and better every single year. So there's a constant progression. And after a while, you know, you're going to have some injuries because you're basically a human jumping bean. you know, you're landing thousands of times a year. And when you hit a landing wrong and you hit an uphill of a landing or land funky sooner or later, you're gonna blow out a knee or you're gonna break something. And um, so I was very fortunate, very blessed to have a 14 year career, uh, tore my ACL in my left knee, tore my ACL in my right knee. My ankles are kind of loose, ligaments have been torn, shoulders are loose. Wrists are kind of, you know, I'm a little creaky, but still, I'm, you know, I'm out here, uh, you know, one of my hobbies now is running. And uh, just got to run a half marathon in Reno the other day, won my age group for Reno. And um, so, you know, found kind of another outlet. So the fact that at 51 years old, I can still go out and like run a half marathon and, and win my age group, my body's doing pretty good you know I'm a little creaky and on those cold days when it's overcast, you can feel the low pressure you know <laughs> it takes a little bit to get the blood flowing but I've been very blessed and um, you know I, I ended up getting saved towards the end of my career I would say probably the last Three years of my career, I, I got saved, and Jesus revealed himself to me and, and came and dwelt inside of my heart and started giving me uh, a new focus. Um, I was still focused on snowboarding, but now was using my snowboarding to uh, as a way to point people to him. And so, in the last uh, handful of years, God's brought me through some very difficult times. But I know that it's 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 for my own good, and it's for His glory. But I need to trust Him in that. So you asked me this little question, and it, I just ranted for like ten minutes straight.
0: Hey, that's what I love about you. There's a, you're like a fountain. Just <laughs> just turn the faucet on. If you can look back on your snowboarding career, can you almost look at it as, you know, this life that you once had. And a friend of mine, Tommy, I texted him before we started this episode. Hey, what's a question you'd ask Jem? And, and he mentioned this idea of the well. Let me just actually read it. So Tommy actually sent this text in, um, thought it was a great question. He said, to compare the well of the world with the well that Jesus offers. And he said, he knows your story. You are the most extreme people in the world. How would you compare that now that you live a normal life?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I've been a correctional officer for the last seven years.
0: So how would you describe your snowboard career in a well that you continue to run after and chase after? It sucks at streams. And now the well that Jesus offers that you have in a normal life, which in what ways would you describe that as as fulfilling now?
1: When, you, when you're a professional athlete, you're... Um, you're only as good as your last contest. So, you know, in most contests, you don't win. You might win, if you're good, you might win 30 or 40% of the time. And that's if you're really good. So for most people, like you might win 20% of the time. I'm mean, if that's even within your wheelhouse, right? Like, so in a lot of ways, I tell people, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're on a conveyor belt. And you're going, and you're going, and the next goal goes by, and then it's the next goal, and then it's the next goal, and it never ends, it never really turns off. And so being a professional snowboarder, being a professional athlete um, is uh, is a lot of unrest. There are periods where you might, you know, with snowboarding, because our schedules are kind of mellow, like you can kind of dictate your own schedule, But as people start putting pressure on you, then you feel obligated to do certain things. And so then you're like kind of asking yourself that question. Am I doing this for myself? Am I doing it for other people? So there's this this constant striving. And when I got saved, um, I didn't have to strive. I was a child of God. And my life was the Lord's life. He had given me this life and I could rest in that. In my snowboard career, I never experienced complete peace, complete joy, complete contentment. Those things the world cannot give you. So if you win the biggest contest of your life, you have a thought like, wow, I won that big contest. I've always been wanting to win. I won it. Winning's cool, but still, then the next thought is like, winning's fun. I want to go win again. What's the next one? You know what I mean? When you win Jesus, there's nothing better. He is the ultimate. When you come to know your creator, because I think most of mankind wants to know is there a God? Is he real? So, nonetheless to to get back to um the the difference in the well the wells the well is uh the well is even in a successful life a quarter full the well for a believer is full it doesn't always feel like that and you have to remind yourself when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or you're out in the wilderness that you have to remind yourself hey, I'm a child of the living God. These trials and tribulations aren't going to last forever. Yes, my body is wearing out, but soon I will inherit a new resurrected body that that doesn't break down. This isn't forever. These light momentary afflictions only last for a little bit. So getting back to the well analogy, once you look into a well that is overflowing and a well that's a quarter full, it's not even a comparison.
0: Hey, so let's talk about evangelism for a second, sharing our faith. It's quite easy to say you should share your faith. It's a whole nother thing to say, you know, I'm going to do that and then go out and actually share your faith. And, and the gift of evangelism as it is a gift from God, like many people will say, well, I'm not gifted in that, you know, that's Jim Rippey's gift or that's Kevin's gift. But, you know, multiple times I'll say this on the podcast, the gift of the evangelist would mean that every believer who has professed faith in Christ would have a gift. You know, they would have a, a present, they, and that present, that gift is Jesus. So we we have the greatest gift in the world that would be a relationship with God through Jesus. We're all called to be the gift giver. Not all of us have the gift of evangelism, but we all can be the gift of the evangelist by giving Jesus, by sharing our story. And that is a beautiful picture and a powerful way to communicate the gospel to people is through what he's done in our lives. And unfortunately, you know, many people underestimate that work. They diminish the work of God in their own story. And so rob themselves of the excitement to go out. You know, I, I don't have a, a, an amazing athletic career or, you know, medals to hang behind my head or haven't gotten paid money and been on big stages. But that's not what I'm, I'm not putting the value of my story on any of those things. But because I've spent my life in the last 10 years developing, you know, my my passion for story and what God does in our lives, I've seen this much deeper, more powerful, profound work of God, the mystery and the, the miracles and the wonderful work is not just for my salvation, but it's just ongoing work. He renews my mind in ways that the world could never comprehend. You know, the self-help books that help you get through your emotional struggles. Jesus has helped me through so much more my depressed times and my anxiety and the fears that I have than any medication ever could, than any um, psychologist or psychiatrist ever could, like, to the point where the world wouldn't even believe and couldn't understand the freedom that I have in my story. But, but that's come from me being very intentional about seeking to know that God is the source of all of this. And to me, that's the, the reason for this podcast is, is uh, to encourage and to inspire, to say, go and share your story, but to also say before you probably do that. And the reason that you probably don't do that already is that you haven't actually believe that God has done something tremendous and powerful in your life to give you a story that others want to hear. And, and, you know, yes, go and study evangelism and and go out and share your faith, but also first start with believing that what God has done in your life is worthy of being shared. Because if it's not, then, then you're already not confident in the very thing you're trying to share with people.
1: Mm, That's
0: good. I'm confident, not in anything that I've ever done. Not I, I, Paul, I boast so much in Christ. My marriage, I'm, I'm still married after 18 years because of the power of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel story is not just for salvation, but it's the ongoing work. As Paul said, I continue to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Not that he's afraid of God, but that sin is so present and ever enticing us and the spirit of god is contrary to that flesh contrary to the sin and so as paul says i'm working this out he's saying i understand that there's a war there's a battle every single day not for my salvation but for the joy of my soul for the contentment of my heart and the peace in my mind that's a Mm -hmm. war that's a battle as soon as i start to understand that is part of my story and that story is part of evangelism it's part of Sharing my faith is not just, hey, do you know where you're gonna go when you die? That's one question. I watched my dad ask that question my whole life, but that's just one question. We don't have to start there. You know, we we can ease people's fears of evangelism and say, look, you don't have to get a Bible and hit them on the head. You just first of all need to know that what God's done in your life is the greatest thing in your life. There's nothing greater in the world. So build your confidence in that, and then just start to love people, ask them questions about their story and, and say, Lord, I want to share my faith. Well, pray that and then go talk to people and trust Amen. that God, God's going to do far more than we could ever think or imagine if we would be willing to do this first step. Amen. So
1: you're, you're, you're so right on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and then, okay. So like you get an opportunity to share what God's done in your life then all you have to share when you're trying to share with somebody who doesn't know Jesus is the fact that we're saved by Christ and Christ alone because of his perfectness, his perfectness, not our own. Right. Amen. Anyone can share that message. If you're a believer and you love those around you, you should be concerned about where they're going to spend eternity. God has chosen you to be his mouthpiece to tell that way, that person, the way to heaven.
0: Yeah amen you know i mean Jesus scripture said, says we are we are the ambassadors so god is making yeah. his appeal through us, through us and through through our lives you know and he wants to do that you know it's like i heard on on Penn and teller do you know who those guys are two comedians yeah. you yep. know i think both of them are atheists but i know that the the one the bigger guy I can't i get them confused but i remember there was a, a video out there was one point on youtube a few years back and a younger guy in his 20s had asked uh hen, I believe the taller one. And, um, and, and it was basically coming down to, to convince him of Christianity. And the young guy just basically said, look, if you don't know Jesus, you would be separated from God for all of eternity. And you would spend your, your life in eternal life in hell separated from him. And he looked at him. and he's like, you know, I've never really had anybody try to convince me of this. They usually try to prove the existence of God, which I can argue all day. He says, but the fact that you told me this, no one else has ever told me this. And he goes, I don't believe that it's true. But if it were true, I would tell every single person on the planet that I ever came in contact with that exact same thing.
1: Yeah, from an atheist or probably an agnostic.
0: I think as like Christians, we need to actually look at it from the side of that story and that angle and say, well, wait a second. It is true. We do believe it's true. Why aren't we telling anyone?
1: If we know that, you know, 95% of the people around us don't know Christ, well, we better be telling them about Christ or, or we really don't care that much about them. Now, I understand that like, if you do that, like it's going to change your life, but if your life is stagnant as a believer, start telling people about Jesus, it won't be stagnant anymore. It'll become exciting you'll be excited and look for these opportunities to talk to people and what people will notice around you is that if you're a believer you have a foundation that cannot be shaken and when their life starts to fall apart they will come to you in those vulnerable moments because they see a stability in your life that doesn't make sense doesn't matter if you have everything if you're an accomplished athlete whatever what matters is, is, is there's a, once like I, like I said before, if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you're different. You can't help it. And they will see that and they will come to you when their life is falling apart and you can be that person to help them. But then say, hey, because I care about you, I need to tell you, I need to tell you something. Okay. And then you, you share the message of the cross with that person. And because you've cared about them first, they'll listen to you. They might not agree like Penn and Teller, but, but think about how profound what he said. This is the first time I've heard this. He's an adult. I mean, I got saved at the age of 30. No one had told me that I was on my way to hell. I had, I had some people like say a few things that did, they didn't really like share the gospel clearly. It was kind of like, if you don't believe in God, you're going to hell. Okay. Well, you need to explain that a little bit better to me because that just doesn't, make any sense you know you got to understand that you're a sinner first why would i go to hell i'm not that bad of a person right yeah you gotta explain it a tiny bit but it doesn't need to be too complex
0: yeah i agree yeah we don't need to make sharing our faith more complicated than it needs to be we do need to understand like you said the simple truth of the gospel that god loves us and that his love was shown to us on the cross while we were yet sinners christ died for us and yep. he did that because he loves us, you know, and his love is contra to all of us. And like you said, it's, it's, uh, helping people understand their lostness or their sense of, of their life is, is dead in their sin as a loving thing. Like the best thing that I could say to someone kind of like what you know, Penn said the best that's, you know, I would tell everyone that, well, the best thing about saying I'm a sinner is this actually recognizing and pinpointing the things that I already feel in my life. You know, where does sadness come from and anger? Where does cancer come from? Where does unforgiveness and bitterness stem from? You know, all of that stems from sin because sin leads to death. Well, no. anger and unforgiveness and sadness and depression and suicide are all the symptoms of, of sin that lead to death. And, It's just good news to say it's not like the old crooked finger that we used to have pointed at us at our youth camps that you're a sinner you're going to go to hell. Um, It's actually like, let me help you understand why you feel the way you do let me help you understand why nothing in this world makes sense let me help you understand why people murder people why they commit suicide let me help you understand that the root of all of that there's a story of sin and death. There's also a story of hope and life in Jesus. And I have been given that. I have gone from death to life. And that is my story. And we all have that. If we would just recognize that it's a little more simpler than we actually think about. But we have to stop and and do the work and actually sit down with our story and see how we've gone from death to life. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks for stopping by and supporting This Is My Story, the podcast and YouTube show. Until next time, be blessed. Remember, you do have a story and it matters more than you know.